I'm R.J. Bell with the Sports Betting Headlines for Friday. The Nets beat the Lakers easily. Many are dismissing this, but the Nets are much better than people think. They are dangerous. We'll start the show with that. Vegas odds, they can tell you oftentimes what's going to happen next. There's odds right now that's telling us there's an NFL team you might not have expected to have a chance at Deshaun Watson that has a mighty good chance. Tonight, NBA The Clippers host the Jazz. The Jazz beat them last game, and now the Jazz are favored by five points in L.A. Here comes a four-hour of the Vegas truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm R.J. live on a Friday, live in Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. This is an NBA-driven show today. What a... I mean, think about it. Last night, the Nets, the favorite in the East against the defending champions, LeBron, the MVP favorite, and the favorites to win it all, Lakers. A lot of people are going to poo-poo and say, yeah, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. It matters. It matters. And I think there was many telling elements in that Laker game yesterday. And this Deshaun Watson stuff... The odds oftentimes, if you know how to watch those screens, it will tell you, ooh, look, something's percolating or something is percolating when it comes to Deshaun and his destination. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans to know more than their buddies. I'm the pro. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we've got more fallout from the Carson Wentz trade, we've got some Deshaun Watson rumors that involve the betting odds. What is the Vegas lead here, though, on this Friday? I'll say this, Jonas. In the second segment, 20 after, we'll make this appointment listening. I'm going to force you to take a few stands. I'm going to be kind of hitting you with some questions on the Eagles, <laughs> questions on Wentz, and you're going to try to kind of take the middle ground. I'm telling you now, I'm not letting you, but we're going to start with that Laker-Nets game. Yeah, and it was the big one on TNT Thursday night, but it was all Brooklyn, the Nets, over the Lakers, 109-98 the final at Staples Center. Okay, so these teams were not at full strength. Uh, Anthony Davis out for the Lakers, Kevin Durant out for the Nets. Now, it's easy to say, and I think it's accurate to say, that's a fair trade-off. Though in general, KD's playing slightly better this year, which is really uh, a little bit surprising off his injury, but admirable. Um, But AD probably means more to the Lakers. So in general, it feels like a wash. Also, though, you got to remember... This is not just adding up talent, right? The Sixers would have won the title years ago if it was just about aggregating talent. It's about building a team. So maybe the theory is AD's not only more valuable, but so much more valuable 
because of the way he fits with LeBron. Okay, maybe. So I'm not going to say because both players are comparable that removing them means it's pretty much the same matchup as it would be in the finals. It's not. But it still tells you something. It tells you a lot. And it also, the reason I think it tells you so much that we should be optimistic about the Nets, and that's the real takeaway here, optimism about the Nets. The Nets are better than most experts are letting on, or at least uh, willing to admit, because their default is, oh, it's just not an aggregation of talent. That isn't what it's about, which is smart. They're generally right. But what's been so surprising and what makes me so optimistic about this Nets team, and I was pessimistic a month ago, is the way they have integrated as a team. And we'll break that down. But to me, the general couple-week takeaway here is the Nets are serious contenders for the title. I'm not sure. I don't think they're the favorites. The odds say they're not. I'm saying I'm not sure if you told me, and maybe Jonas will start there. First question is if I said I'm going to give you, or I'll say McKenzie or Fezzik. Fezzik will give you $10,000 if you pick the NBA champion. Who are you going to take? I would probably take Brooklyn right now. You really? Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Now, a week ago, would you have said Lakers? Uh, yeah, Lakers or Clippers. Ooh, the, you're still holding out hope with the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. I still, I still think, uh, I still think the Clippers could make some noise. But I was, I was really impressed with Brooklyn last night, and it's, uh, it's just one game. But yeah. So, so let's break that down. So you are very good with the eye test. What did you see? It, they just looked like a better team. They looked more together, um, which is, which is weird considering they haven't been together that long, and it just seemed like. To your point, no Anthony Davis hurts the Lakers more than no Kevin Durant hurts the Brooklyn Nets just from the fact that they can get scoring whenever they want it, basically. So when you get to the postseason, you need somebody that's going to get you a bucket. Well, pick which guy you want to do it, whether it's Kyrie Irving, whether it's James Harden, but it's also these other role players, the the others, as they would call them, you know, like Joe Harris, who was really good. Um, They hit a bunch of threes in that game. You don't expect them to be that hot from three every single game. But I just came away from that going, okay, they've played good enough defense. And they reminded me a lot of the Warriors teams in that they played good enough defense. They hit a bunch of shots and they just seemed like they were on a different level. And I never felt like the Lakers were close in that second half. I thought the 11 point line, the 11 point final score difference. I I didn't think it was that close. I just didn't think the Mm -hmm. Lakers were ever that into that game at, at any point in the second half. Now, a lot of listeners are probably thinking what, like that Warriors team, I think offensively as good, if not better with all three They've only had six games with yeah. all three. Mm-hmm. It, it, but where I would say let's quali- uh, qualify it a little bit is I don't think the Nets could play defense as well as Golden State. And that no. if you think about it, you know, they had, when they had Iggy especially, but then when you, uh, you know, Draymond at the time younger was a really good defender. And Clay, you know, was and is hopefully a really good defender when he comes back from his injury. But – Here's the thing about the Nets, and if you have one takeaway about why the mainstream general narrative is incorrect, it's this. 
in the games, and there's different ways to do this analysis. One is what was the record at the time the teams played. The other is what was the record now. So we're looking at the record at the time the teams played, which is indicative of how good they were at that point. In those games, there's 12 times that the Nets have played a team with a winning record. In those games, 10 wins, 2 losses. Okay. The final score in those games have been averaged for the Nets' advantage, 123 to 115. So they went by 8 points against winning teams. Against losing teams, 18 games, 8 and 10 straight up. The Nets are 8 and 10 against losing teams at the time of the game, 10 and 2 against winning teams. And here's the thing about the defense, Jonas. Against the lesser teams, they give up 119 points, the Nets. Against the winning teams, 115. So what we're seeing here is it's about focus and it's about effort. And I know if we could just say it'd be good if someone tried all the time as best they could. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. But in the playoffs... That's when when you typically have a team that's inconsistent in the regular season, but against the good competition, they really ramp it up. Those are the teams that usually overperform in the playoffs. LeBron's had those types of teams with the Cavs, especially. And that's what the Nets are. Forgetting the fact that they've played with only two of the big three most of the time, they are beating winning teams by eight points a game. It's rare to have a team ever ever have a net differential of 10 points throughout an entire season against everybody. So obviously it's not an entire season, but what I'm saying, winning by eight points is huge against any competition, meaning if you just say across the league, eight points would be huge. Against winning teams to be 10 and two says when they decide to play, they're really good, the Nets. And obviously the playoffs are the times that they're going to decide to play. So with your eye test, would you say that when they're motivated, this team's playing better than anyone? The oh, Nets. 100%, 100%. Yeah, and, and I also think this. I, I think they cover up each other's flaws, and most notably James Harden's flaws. So if we think about Kevin Durant has performed on the biggest stage in the finals and was the best player in those series. It was Kyrie Irving who hit the shot and performed at a really high level in the NBA finals. The one knock on the trio is the guy who doesn't have the ring, and that's James Harden. And, and the biggest issue with him as everybody says well when he gets to the postseason he runs out of gas because he 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 plays so hard during the regular Mm. season he doesn't have any anything left well that's not going to be an issue this year because he's not going to have to play as hard to carry his team in the regular season so I think this is going to be the freshest version of James Harden that you're going to get and that could ultimately be the difference between them just making the playoffs and them winning the title that's Jonas Knox we're straight out of Vegas and we are defining the truth of the situation in the NBA right now, specifically Nets, potentially the favorites to win it all. McKenzie and research, uh, you know, I haven't looked at the updated odds today. Uh, Do we have the NBA? I mean, obviously we do the NBA favorites right now. What do we got? So the Lakers are plus 250. The Nets are second at four to one. All right. So the Nets a month ago, right when the trade happened or right around the trade were what? They're around four to one. There was actually a lot of variance. I know one place in town had six to one, but yeah, on average it was four to one. So you're saying we've seen what we've seen in the last month and the odds haven't improved. This to me, and I'm going to make it right now. One of my impromptu bets, Jonas, (laughs) and these, these are deadly. Let's be candid. I'm going to go with the Nets plus 400 to win the title. I I mean, we can hedge out, 
you know, if we get to the finals and we want to hedge out a little bit with the Lakers, that's fine. But to me, a four to one, this is a mighty good bet. Make it official. Four to one, best bet, RJ, on the Nets. Now, you mentioned Harden. We mentioned what happened in the last month. We talked about this a few days ago. It bears repeating. Harden has done an extraordinary job transitioning into a facilitator's role. I mean, amazing. He's uh, this. These stats are from a couple games ago, but obviously since he had the 38, we had another impromptu winner on, on the over with Harden in the game against Phoenix. And last night he had uh, in the mid-20s, if I recall, a little lower than that. So yeah. let's say his average has gone up a little, but he was averaging about 23 points a game. Okay, so wow, that seems down. Maybe there's a problem. But leading the league in assists during that time, uh, about 12 per game, taking less step-back threes, almost half a like – about half as many step-back threes, which are one of the shots that are amazing when he makes it, but come on, we know you're not winning titles with step-back threes. He's cutting that in half. He's cut his dribbling by about 30%. He's cut his time holding the ball hard and has about 30%. Everything that the critics complained about, he has gotten better at with these players around him, even without the other two being there most games. At least one other one there, and he's done well. And I think in general, if you would have said, what's your apprehension about the Nets? It would be two things at the time of the trade. One is Kyrie was off, and it seems like not fo- obviously not focused on NBA basketball. Yeah. And it seems like in general, directionally, he's moved back to that as a greater focus. Now, if that's consistent from here on, we don't know. But right now, that's improved. Kyrie's focus has improved. Also, we didn't know how these three would play together, how Harden would deal with not having the ball all the time. In both regards, it's been a huge plus-plus, but the odds haven't changed. What do you think? Yeah, that's a little strange. Um, I I just wonder if there's so much skepticism that these personalities are not going to be able to mesh, and and maybe that's where this is coming from. I mean, I would have thought maybe after seeing last night that maybe there might be a little bit of movement, but the fact that there's been no movement at all over the past couple of weeks, that's a little bit surprising. Well, we'll take our first break, and we'll address that. The Lakers apologist. I think there's actually not only reason for optimism with the Nets, I think there's reason for pessimism with the Lakers, and Jonas is going to have to take a few stands here when we talk about Wentz. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I disagree with intervention. I disagree with protocol. If you speak out against the world. RJ Bell, we are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will take a closer look at last night's win for the Brooklyn Nets. There is cause for concern with the Lakers. I'll make that case quickly and convincingly. It's a great day to join. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audiences doubled in the last year plus. Thank you so much for the support. We'll keep working hard. Great football season in the books. And we're keeping it going, baby. And you can listen to the podcast over the weekend. It's a great time to catch up. Just search Straight Out of Vegas on your favorite pod player. There it is. All for free. A lot of good information. I thought our recap show, Jonas, of the Wentz stuff was really strong. And it's kind of funny 
And there's some radio guys that like will be like, you know, I once used that turn of phrase and then two years later, someone else is using it. They're listening to me. And, you know, you hear that a lot in radio. Do you hear that sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a bit too much. I will say this, though. In general, if you look at the way and, and be candid here, I mean, you can be wrong and disagree if you want, but <laughs> is in general our take on, let's say, the Stafford trade in which we were just so fist pounding about they had to give that pick to get rid of golf. That was less than half the people saying that the day of, the day after. Now it's like everyone's got it. And again, to me, that's the beauty of it. We're not necessarily breaking the first on everything. Obviously not. But we try not to be wrong. Like I, I borderline obsess over I don't want to be wrong. I don't have to always be right, but I don't want to be wrong, which sounds kind of zen. But you can say I'm not sure, right? But when you say this is the way it is, that means, at least with Straight Out of Vegas, that you're willing to bet on it. And I don't want to bet if I'm wrong. So I, I think the money helps. You know, half our audience doesn't bet. That's what the study shows. But to me, they know that we do and that we take it that seriously because let's be candid. It's easy to have an opinion. It's different to bet on it. Cold cash over hot takes, as they say. So... You can, uh, oh, right here in Vegas on the Strip, speaking of betting, 62 degrees, the neon is flowing. And, RJ, we are coming to you live here from the Farmers Insurance Fox Sports Radio Studios. Call 1-888-FARMERS to switch, and you could save a bundle on your auto insurance. And we are looking back on the big win for the Brooklyn Nets, 109-98 the final Thursday night at L.A. over the Lakers. What does it take? to believe the Lakers should be favored. And I'm going to say that you're building an argument that has some real, let's say, uncertainty in it. Number one, we can't forget, after the bubble regular season finish, before the playoffs, the Lakers were considered to be the third favorite to win the title. Uh, Clippers were the favorite, Milwaukee second. Remember, the Lakers shot poorly in the bubble up to that point. And Fezzik, right here on this show, had Portland as his best bet. He had won, what, 14 straight bets? And he decided he he was going to put Portland as his best (laughs) bet to to win the the series. Colin Cowherd, right here in FSR, picked Portland to win the series. So it was a professional batters, uh, elite radio guys that are NBA uh, observers, Everyone felt like, or not everyone, but many felt like the Lakers just weren't even close to the clear favorite to win it. They won it. What was their toughest matchup to win it? Meaning, if you look back in the history of the NBA and say, what was, and I'm asking, Jonas, in your opinion, who was the toughest team they beat? The Lakers on the run to the title? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. um, Probably Denver. Yeah, so what we're saying here, a Denver team that in the scheme of things, like go back to like when the Warriors uh, beat the Rockets, right? And Harden's gotten heat for not winning those. But you could make the case that the, the, that Rockets team that, that was up 3-2 against the Warriors a few years ago, you could say maybe that was one of the 20 best teams in the last 20 years. It's yeah. not always going to be the best the, – the, title holder is going to be one of the 20 best in 20 years. Sometimes the second best team one year is better than a title holder another year. Denver's nowhere in that conversation. 
The Heat's nowhere in that conversation. Meaning, hey, it's a title. LeBron did a hell of a job, and he, he navigated the pandemic, and all, no doubt about it. But the fact of the matter is that they had a relatively easy road. And entering that run, they weren't considered the best team in the NBA. So let's just say they won the title, and that's for sure, and they get the ring, and they should, but they weren't necessarily even the best team last year. So now, what's happened since? Well, winning hurts the Lakers this year. Why? Well, not with LeBron, because I think he's got like a career narrative in his head and and that's one of the reasons he's so great he's always thinking about the next thing but ad i would make the point and let me ask you jonas if if you said there's a player that's never won it and we don't know yet if he has the will to keep working you know remember rocky lost in rocky three right he won he lost in rocky one even though he had a detached retina he was fighting in two they both fell down double 10 count rocky up yo adrian i did it but you know what happened in Rocky Three? Polly's got the robot. You remember this? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, he's just not fighting as hard. And remember, he goes, he go, it, it, when uh, Mickey goes, he's gonna kill you, Rock. It's like Mr. T's in a little, uh, you know, 400 square foot apartment doing chin ups, and Rocky's got like a turtleneck sweater on. Do we really know how AD's responded to this win? What we know is. This title win. What we know is he has he's played worse this year when he's been on the court. Not yeah. horribly, but not as good as last year. And now it goes from two weeks out to a month out. In general, the tenacity doesn't seem to be there for AD. Would you agree with that? Yeah, the injuries have always been there. They've popped up. I can't think of one season that injuries haven't been an issue for him. And when he was on the court, to your point, he was not playing all that great this year for the Lakers. Like Rocky Three. So now the question is, if you weren't necessarily clearly the best team last year, and I think the best you could say is they were, you know, right there, right? And they won. Okay. And now LeBron's a year older. And let's not forget, come the title being decided, it would be June this year, right? Is think about the amount of basketball LeBron would have played in the 12 months, starting with the resumption in the bubble at the end of July, through June, assuming it's Game 7 in the NBA Finals against the Knicks, no player LeBron's age in the history of the world would have played that much hard basketball in an 11-month period. Now, we can say LeBron's like Tom Brady and the rules don't apply, and you know, I, I could see that, but it's a question mark for sure. AD's tenacity is a question mark. The fact that the Lakers were clearly the best team last year is a question mark. And LeBron playing so much ball in 11 months is a question mark. And because of all those question marks, anyone acting like the Lakers are a foregone conclusion, I think it's the same kind of fuzzy thinking that made the Clippers the foregone conclusion the year before. Closing thoughts on that, Jones. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think it's going to be a really difficult road to get back for them, uh, not just with the injury. Look, AD is going to be out a month, but this is an Achilles, and there's no guarantees that when he gets back, that that thing, it, it could go south in a hurry and maybe do serious damage. And we've seen that without Anthony Davis, they're in trouble. And it, I just wonder what sort of move – are they going to need to make at the trade deadline to try and get in and counteract whatever is happening, whether it be in Brooklyn or to compete against, you know, the Utah Jazz that we've talked about on this show? I just I think their path is much more difficult this year. 
which is why we made an impromptu best bet today. I did on the Nets at 4-1 to one to win the title. And by the way, if you look at the Nets, how they've done when the big three's been on the court, except for the first game, it took a game to get, you know, they lost the first. They have had five games with the big three on the court for the Nets, 5-0 and straight up in those games. They beat the Heat twice. Oh, the finals participant last year. The Hawks, the Clippers, and Steph and the Golden State Warriors. So in those five games, very competitive teams they've played. Oh, perfect. Again, five games, but people aren't really, I think, acknowledging how good the Nets are. And oh, by the way, the Lakers against winning teams this year, four and seven straight up. So I like the Nets. I'm a little skeptical about the Lakers. And one more thing about the Lakers. This whole we don't care about winning the regular season stuff. Well, here's the question. Imagine if they get the fourth seed. All right. And ima- or, or imagine they get the, the I'm sorry, the third seed and the Clippers get the second seed. And lo and behold, your run to the f- title would be Clippers right in the semis of the conference. And then in theory, Utah and then the Nets. It's very pot- when you're number one, you get to dictate, you know, who you're playing. You're not going to have that tough second round or unless somehow a real tough team falls four in theory. But boy, oh boy, when you kind of roll the dice with Utah playing so well about where you're going to be seeded, wouldn't you agree? Clippers, Jazz, as they're playing now, especially Nets, that is a tough road to the title. Real tough. And especially... Anthony Davis really, I think, is is the key to everything. And I'm I'm also surprised, now that we look at those odds, that there wouldn't have been an adjustment based on just the health status of Anthony Davis. It, it still feels well, like, eh, don't worry about ta- it, he'll be back in four weeks. Yeah, we talked about that. The theory is if the regular season doesn't matter, this if anything, this rest helps him. Except now that they're extending the time, is that a sign of something that they're not being fully disclosing about that that maybe it's worse than they thought? Obviously, it is worse than they thought, right? The question is, is it lingering? A week, two weeks, that's one thing. We're talking a month. I agree. That's uh, a little little troublesome to me. I don't know if you heard, but R.J. Bell has the best bet on the net. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this is what we're going to do. Jonas is kind of, you know, he's he's kind of interject. He's all froggy. This is great because he is going to be answering some questions about Wentz because I think there's a hot take at the end of it. But Jonas hates hot takes. So I'm going to lead him there. I'm going to lead him there. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. My basic premise is the Eagles had – only the Colts interested in Carson Wentz. And I think that is telling about how the Colts approached being in such a strong position. Now, how do we know this? One, Adam Schefter, very respected, right a vast majority of the time, said the only team that made an offer was the Colts, that the Bears were interested vaguely, but no offer. Okay, now, what people don't realize is or some don't, is March 3rd, there was a $10 million guarantee that would kick in the Eagles be on the hook for. So getting rid of Wentz pre-March 3rd saved them $10 million. So you could make the case that was a deadline. Now, Joan, it's just kind of business 101 stuff. 
if you got to get rid of something, let's say you had toxic waste. I'm not saying Wentz is toxic waste, but we're just using an analogy here. You got toxic waste sitting in your yard and the commissioner comes around and says, hey, the toxic waste commissioner says, you got to get that out of the yard by March 3rd or I'm going to find you a big number. All right. Now, if only one person is willing to get rid of it, you can't do it somehow. It needs special gloves. How much does that person charge you? Well, in theory, it's pretty much as much as a, he wants up to the consequence of you just waiting. We know that the Eagles didn't want to just wait just because of the $10 million and additionally all the, 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 the press and the talk and the speculation. So wouldn't you agree if you have one buyer for Wentz, you have, to, you have a deadline that, boy, the Colts were in a, a real strong position, the Eagles in a weak position. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And all your reporting or, or all the stuff you've read lines up with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they needed to get it done before the deadline because they didn't want to take that $10 million hit. And the Colts were loaned in their uh, explicit interest in them. Wentz. Yeah, that's now that we find out the Bears never really made an offer that it was pretty much all Indianapolis the whole way. So why in the heck did they give up so much more than they need. I mean, this was, we came on right after the trade said they got, you know, they gave up way, way too much. I think the hint of that is why that was, was we can look back to what happened with Jacoby Brissett after Andrew Luck retired. So Brissett was uh, signed that year for $5 million. He was signed already. And what the Colts did was they gave him a two-year deal for $30 million. So effectively, year two was a $25 million offer on Brissett, an unproven starter. Why did they do that? At the time, I was screaming, what are they doing? Well, it's come out since. They said that a starting quarterback getting paid $5 million wouldn't be respected in the locker room. So we had to worry about perception. So we gave them 25 in year two. Wouldn't we make the case that Wentz, who psychologically seemed to struggle just with another quarterback competing with him, right, Hurts, is if he would have got traded for a number seven pick or a seventh round pick, let's say, that it would have been detrimental to him. Thus, the Colts paid more just for the perception that Wentz was valuable. Um, I, Why else? Yeah, I, I don't know that, that this was done to make him feel good. Um, yeah, I, I don't, because I don't know that guys in the locker room look at, Carson Wentz and go well, what do they get in return for him and they determine whether or not they respect him because of it I just I don't know that that do you think they do that do you think they were correct the quotes about Brousset uh, uh, that money helping his standing I don't know see I never heard that I never I've never heard that, that well that in was a, part it, of the yeah in hindsight the the, you know the idea of giving him 25 million was absurd right so like why would they have done it and Again, I'm not saying that it's locked up and proven. I'm saying there's been multiple reports that that was the rationale. But again, those reports are wrong sometimes, no doubt. So I would make the case the Colts are making a level of commitment to Wentz that is irrational. That, that, that unless we just believe that somehow Frank Reich is magic, and, and I'm not saying this isn't the best situation for Wentz. I'm saying, and he probably has the best chance here. I'm not disagreeing with that. But I just think the Colts are putting themselves in such a bad situation. So let me pose one more thing. Is this deal to go to a number one, it's 75% of the snaps no matter what, right? If they make the playoffs or not. Or 70% if they make the playoffs. And most places are just reporting one or the other randomly, it seems like. They're not talking about both. 
So if you have 16 games, it means 12 games is about 75%. Mm-hmm. Since you'd expect that Wentz to throw more than a backup quarterback, it means he has to probably miss five games not to reach that threshold. So really, what seems like the most likely possibility for the Colts here is Wentz comes, he's better than last year, but he's not as good as he was. He's maybe the 16th, 17th best quarterback. He starts most of the games, and thus it goes to a number one pick. But chances are, if he's playing as a middle average quarterback, they don't go 12 and four. They're probably 10 and six. They just get into the playoffs. They end up having like the 20th pick in the draft, and literally it goes to Philly. And then they're faced with next year for 22 saying, wait a minute, Wentz has got like a $35 million contract, and we've got an average quarterback, and we lost our number one pick. Doesn't that seem like a very likely, because as we were talking about what we expect from Wentz, you were like, well, if he's a little bit like the two years before, not quite that good, you know, that seemed like the most likely outcome. Wouldn't that be a nightmare outcome considering the way they structured this deal? Yeah, this yeah, I would agree. It's all about this year. If if they don't, it, look, if they get to the playoffs and they're out in round one, this has been a failure. I mean, Unless Wentz does exceptionally. If Wentz is a top eight quarterback, then at least you've got him from there on. But if, if, if he's average, I agree 100%. See, because I, I just I, I think the, the easier way to look at this is how much, and we talked about it a little bit yesterday, and this probably surprises people, but who would you, if, if you were betting on the Colts next season, would you feel more comfortable if Phillip Rivers was the quarterback or Carson Wentz? I, I think, would. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I would feel I would feel better if it was Rivers, honestly. And that may sound crazy, but I look, man. We can say what we want about Philip Rivers. You went through the QBRs yesterday. It was better than Carson Wentz last season. And Philip Rivers in that playoff game against Buffalo, they were in that game. And for all this talk about, well, he can't push the ball down the field. I don't know. He was pushing the ball down the field against Buffalo on the road. I would just feel better about next season with Rivers at quarterback than I would Carson Wentz. It'd be hard to make the case that Wentz was better. I think even sounds about expectation would be evens about right. That's fair. Uh, or, or reasonable, but I'm I'm also saying it's I could agree with you probably even more, but I can't see them saying Wentz is more likely. Wentz is a lottery ticket. And the only thing that makes this make sense would be if they bring in another serious quarterback and it's a real competition. If Wentz is a lottery ticket, they gave up too much for Wentz to be a lottery ticket. And number two, he psychologically doesn't do well with competition. So you've just put a big bet on a guy that's a long shot to be really, really good. I don't understand it. And you're going to pay a premium price even if he's not good because of the way they made the deal. I don't understand that either. But what I do understand when we come back is the Utah Jazz, and this is going to sound like it's not true. It is. They've had the best run in 25 years against the spread in the NBA, and they continue it or try to tonight versus the Clippers. That's coming up next. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fans. And Jonas, RJ... Jonas, I got yes, a question. Yes, please. Yeah. Sometimes I'll say when we have one of the best shows, I'll go... Make sure we send that off to the Radio Hall of Fame. 
there has to be a level below that, which is like, because it feels like if I said that multiple times in a week, it would, you know, it's come off wrong. What should we say about how good today's show was that's just one level lower than that? I think every show I do sucks. Okay, that's but no, just me well, personally. You know that when you work with me, you don't suck. You do realize that, right? All right, I, your usage rate might be low sometimes, but it, you don't. Suck. All right, all right. Let's get to the Watson. And that's right. FanDuel released some new Deshaun Watson next team odds, RJ, and surprisingly, at the top are the Denver Broncos at plus one fifty. Yeah, and I tell you, this is a type of professional betting. Uh, savvy betting that isn't discussed very much, which is the speculation. It's like, okay, who is Deshaun Watson going to go to? What's the odds of him going there or that team or this team? And what would the effect be? And am I getting good odds, right? So let's just say for the sake of argument, uh, the best example of this was LeBron went back to the Cavs. People forget, if you think back, the Cavs were not – you know, from Miami to Cleveland was not what people expected. And boom, it just happened. And some people speculated and put a lot of uh, money on Cleveland and, and did well. And I think this Denver is fascinating because as they've become the favorite to land Deshaun Watson, their odds have dropped 70 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, down to 60 to 1 just in the last couple weeks. And I would make the case that. If Deshaun even has a 50% chance to go to Denver, that 60 to 1 is probably a pretty good bet because their playmakers are seriously good. And I think Denver's one of those teams like Tampa Bay that has had everything but the quarterback. And Deshaun's obviously one of the top five quarterbacks. We have this huge game tonight, though. Yeah, that's right, and it's the big game tonight involving the Utah Jazz, the red-hot Utah Jazz. They are playing host to, or excuse me, they are on the road at the Clippers at Staples Center, and right now Utah, a a five-and-a-half-point favorite on pregame.com. This is one of those back-to-back in the same venue. On Wednesday, they dominated. Utah did the Clippers. Uh, Paul George out tonight, Kawhi Leonard likely out, but Conley's out for Utah. Here's the thing I want you to know about the Utah Jazz. 20-1 and one, the last 21 games. You know that straight up. 20-1 and one against the spread. In that 20-1 and one run against the spread and straight up, they've won by 14 points per game. No team ever, ever has won over a season by 14 points per game. So this is what we know for sure. The Utah Jazz in the last 21 games have played better than any team in the NBA's history has ever played for a season. That isn't what people are saying. They're missing it. Utah is mighty, mighty good. We are straight out of Vegas back on Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! 